The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. You're listening to Confidential Brief. It's just past the midday mark. My name is Chad Thomas, and welcome. Joining me just now on Confidential Brief is Kalyani Pillay. She's the CEO of the South African Banking Risk Information Center, SABRIC, and it's set to be an extremely interesting conversation. We were looking very forward to the uh, testimony of Robert McBride today in the State Capture Commission, but unfortunately other parties that uh, were named in his affidavits, etc., were not given notification um, in time of the testimony and given right of reply. His testimony has therefore been postponed to Thursday, and the testimony on Thursday, which would have been General Johan Boysen from the KwaZulu-Natal um, Hawks, he was the ex-head of that particular unit in Cato Manor, has been postponed to the following Monday. Uh, this commission has really drawn on a lot of testimony. It has opened the eyes of, of, of many South Africans. But this kind of delay is unacceptable. We now have to wait till Thursday to hear the testimony. It is now the second delay with regards to the McBride testimony. And it's something that's intolerable. South Africa have the right to know what's going on. We also have the right to a speedy um, testimony of all of those that have been implicated so that uh, those that are implicated have the right to reply and we can follow up. Regarding the Gaddafi Billions um, story that appeared in the Sunday Times, I'll be back on CakeNet for Slach on DSTV Channel 144 at 9.30 p.m. to discuss the issue of the Gaddafi Billions and the ongoing story that uh, has plagued South Africa in our intelligence circles since 2011. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of High FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Uh, I'm in conversation today with uh, Kalyani Pillay. She is the CEO of Sabric. And when a mutual friend, General Sally De Beer, heard that she was going to be on our show, she said, one of the most intelligent and competent, kind-hearted women that she knows. So, General De Beer, thank you so much for those kind words for our guest. And Kalyani, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chad. For our listeners, Kalyani has a long-standing history in the legal and criminal justice profession. She was appointed as the Chief Executive Officer of SABRIC way back in December 2007, a position which she still holds. She's responsible for, for leading the organization in assisting the South African banks and the major cash and transit companies to fight organized crime within those industries. This is what really fascinates me. Prior to joining SABRIC, Kalyani was a Special Director of Public Prosecutions as well as Special Advisor to the Head of the National Prosecuting Authority. During her tenure at the NPA, Kalyani was a South African representative to the Commonwealth in criminal-related matters and also represented the NPA on a number of crime commissions and committees at the United Nations. Prior to that, she headed up the Systems Management and Opt- Optimization Unit in the Department of Justice as a General Manager. Kalyani began her career as a practicing attorney way back in 1989. You would never say that when you're looking at her sitting in front of me today. In 1995, at the very early stage of South Africa's democracy, Kalyani was appointed to head up the state attorney's office in Johannesburg. We are honored to welcome you here today. Thank you very much. Let's kick off by starting on Sabric. What is Sabric about and how does Sabric help the public at large? Uh, Chad, more than 16 years ago, the South African banks had a serious problem with bank robberies. That's what actually 
uh, started off their uh, strategy to have a company that would work together in the fight against crime. So while they serious banks are serious competitors with each other, they certainly don't compete when it comes to fighting crime and, and especially organized crime. And I think they realized at that time that the criminals, the syndicates, they didn't care about a brand. They don't care about which particular bank they're going to rob. Uh, they were interested in where they could get access to monies and where they could get access to monies as easily as possible in terms of their own plans. And, of course, um, banks realized that they were all chasing and looking for the same criminals. They were all exposed to and being compromised by the same criminals. And, of course, they decided to come together and, and to work together to, to deal with this problem. And also, uh, which is part of the current mandate uh, uh, still, is that we, we support law enforcement in their investigations. We support the prosecution in matters that get to court on behalf of the banks and, again, all doing it from an industry perspective. So, of course, while bank robberies were the flavor of the day at that time, uh, the crime landscape has changed so drastically uh, over the years. We we certainly don't have a problem with bank robberies anymore. So um, I suppose the model works when they work. everybody works together. Um, and, uh, of course, many other crime types. So, yes, Sabric's there. We, we don't investigate. We don't have a mandate to investigate. We work very closely with all our bank investigators who do the internal things for the banks and the CIT companies. And, of course, we work very closely with the South African Police Service and the uh, Department of Priority Crimes Unit, which is the, the Hawks, and, of course, the prosecuting authorities and... Anybody else that we need to collaborate with and work with in the interest of fighting crime. So anybody in the private sector, anybody in the public sector. And I think the model of collaboration um, and working together is, is a fantastic one. And also very proud to say that from a South African perspective, we really are one of the unique organizations in the world where banks have come together to this extent um, to, to, to fight uh, crime. And, of course, you have various committees and bodies all over the world, but not to the extent that we actually do it in South Africa. So so that's certainly, um, uh, I think, a very we, – we're leading in that regard. In 1996, um, as security manager for, for Standard Bank Properties, we had major incidents of, of robberies within the banking halls. Um, we identified at that time suspects, including the likes of Fingers Robert Tape, Collins Chawuke, etc., and through organizations such as yourself and crime intelligence-led um, operations, we were able to take the, the robberies out of the banking halls into the streets where it became the problem of the cash and transit companies. There seemed to have been a dip over the years, and then suddenly there was this exponential peak over the last 24 months. To what would you contribute that peak? And now it seems to be on the decline, thank goodness. But why do you think there was such a peak, considering all the advances in technology that have taken place since 1996? Well, you know, crime displaces all the time. So you would get it. So we, we're talking here predominantly about the more violent crime, um, or the, the crime where uh, cash is sort of re easily available to the criminals. And so, of course, it displaces, uh, you know, very often. So sometimes you get rid of it altogether, and then they, you get a whole new group of criminals coming up, or they regroup and, and share new skills and learn new skills to do things. But we, we, we had seen a dip in, in, well, certainly a complete eradication of, of bank robberies. I think we had one or two over the last year or two. 
uh, but really not the traditional sort of walk into the bank, stick up kind of thing. Um, and of course, with the cash in transit, and like you said, over the last 24 months, well, not the last 24 months, but I think more around 2018, the, the begin, this first six months of 2018, we saw a, 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 a reappearance of the cash attacks, uh, what we called traditionally vehicle on the road attacks, cash in transit heists. Um, and I, you know, there, there, there were, there was lots of speculation as to why and, and how and what. But I think at the end of the day, there's always a demand for cash. There's always a demand for bulk cash. And of course, criminals, and you can't uh, ignore the human element in all of this. So people collude with different people. Information is, uh, is acquired. And, and of course, robbers, uh, once they intent on doing whatever they need to do, they just move with their plans. And we always say that organized criminals, I think, are the greatest strategists that you can find and the greatest implementers of their plans. And, of course, they, they just go ahead uh, undeterred and they would bring in the resources that they require to do what they want to, what they want to do and of course the minute you 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 interfere with those plans like like happened last year the police were i must say extremely robust in their approach uh, we worked very closely with the the cash and transit companies and our, ourselves worked very closely with law enforcement uh, there were lots of intelligence shared there was lots of assisting and supporting operations that were carried out and a number of arrests were made. So the South African police uh, have done uh, quite well in terms of that. And so, uh, and of course, I must say that the cash and transit companies also took it very seriously and the banks supporting them on it because they moving a bulk, the bulk of the cash is also moved for uh, the banking sector. And, and everybody came to the party in terms of looking at new mitigation strategies. It's no use just expecting the police to make the arrest, but you've got to look at where the vulnerabilities are and where the risky areas are and put into place uh, serious mitigation strategies. And, of course, that's what they're doing, and it's ongoing. Uh, I think in that, in, in sort of these kinds of crimes, uh, you can't be lax at all. You know, you have to be at it all the time. You're constantly reviewing what you're doing. Um, Criminals always, always find a way to get around things. Uh, and, of course, you, you, we would probably be faced with it again at some point, but we'd have to look at what they're doing and how they're doing it, what their modus operandi is. Kalyani, we, we, we've chatted about the fact that there was a police response. We saw the increases during 2017 and going into 2018, especially with social media, we saw a massive increase and people themselves were, were becoming involved. There was collateral damage. We had people on the highways where highways were closed off, vehicles were being blown up, people were being shot at. And then we saw a decline when the police started actively um investigating these cases together with organizations such as yourself, as well as the internal um, investigation components within the different cash and transit companies. But going back to 2017, do you think there was a lack of intelligence on the ground? Because when one goes back to the mid-1990s with the bank robberies, etc., intelligence was the key to identifying the likes of Chauke and Robotape. And it was very important to be able to have intelligence-led operations, finding out who had ordered cars that could be used for ramming, who had ordered buckies that could be used to, to deploy soldiers on the ground. Do you honestly think that our intelligence guys were on the ball leading up to this hell of a peak during 2018? No, I, 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 I don't think so. I, I think we all identified that there were certainly gaps. We certainly saw um, a lack of energy 
um, in, in, in that particular division. I think the police themselves, both the minister and the national commissioner, also um, uh, felt the same way. There was definitely a period, um, maybe more than a year or two, uh, or even longer, where uh, you know the intelligence department, certainly crime intelligence, certainly um, we didn't believe. Maybe we don't know, but we certainly, from our side and from for our sectors, two sectors concerned, we certainly didn't see the kind of drive in in, in intelligence because intelligence-led investigations is so vitally important. You can't sit and wait to always be reactive. You know, we we our first uh, hope is that there'll always be prevention, and if you know sufficient, you can of course planned, you can foil uh, incidents, the, 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 the operations are better planned and, and you can try and avoid all of that that's actually happened. So yes definitely there were uh, certainly weaknesses and gaps uh, but I think that with the changes that were made with the appointments of the new head of crime intelligence, a new uh, national commissioner, we certain, certainly saw new energy uh, and lots of plans and, and we actually work quite closely with crime intelligence and a number of other divisions in the police as well now. I'm, I'm glad to see that you brought up the appointment of General Jacobs now heading up crime intelligence. General Situle is the commissioner of police. Um, of course, General Labia is head of Hawks. And we have a minister who we all know is is always um, on the front line. Love him or hate him. And um, Policing is something that he really appreciates. I'm in conversation with Kalyani Pillay. We're going to be back and we want to chat to her about the NPA, the change of taking place, and especially her vested interest, having been somebody so senior in the NPA prior to joining Sabrick. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief, and I'm in conversation today with the Chief Executive Officer of Sabric, Kalyani Pillay. Before joining Sabric, you had an extremely um, interesting career at the National Prosecuting Authority, reaching a, a high point as being the Special Advisor to the head of the MPA, as well as being a Special Director. Do you miss those days in the MPA? I think the one thing I always say to everybody is that people always have a question mark around working for government or working in the public sector. And I must say that throughout my experience of having worked in the public service, it's been such a great learning experience. I think that the kind of experience and exposure that I had in the public sector, I certainly would not have been able to get in the public, se- in, in the private sector. So yes, I had, I had, um, a great, uh, a time during my, my, my tenure at, at all of the different roles that I, that I had in, in the public service. But the NPA was particularly interesting. It was a short one. But certainly a very interesting and uh, exciting experience at times. Do you support the the appointment of somebody um, like Shamila Batohi, um, who who doesn't come with political baggage, who's been out the country at the ICC for the last nine years? Absolutely support her appointment. She's an extremely strong and uh, able, uh, professional person. She, the advantage I think is the fact that she has been in the NPA. She understands the, the workings of, of the NPA. She understands how it fits in and the important role it plays, not just for the criminal justice system of South Africa, but of course for its role and its impact on the economy, on growing investor confidence, uh, in South Africa as well. I think she, she fully appreciates 
appreciates and understands uh, that important role. And I, I have no doubt that she's uh, geared up and ready to do and pl- uh, this extremely difficult task. I mean, she certainly doesn't have an easy task, and I hope that the public will allow her the opportunity to, to roll her sleeves up and get going with it because she certainly is quite busy at the moment. Kalyani, as somebody that, that worked in the National Prosecuting Authority, you must remember the days when special courts were set up, especially for hijackings, when hijackings were at an all-time high. Does your organization support the setting up of special courts in respect of, say, bank-related crime, if you have banking syndicates that are operating either um, where it is a direct um, crime where we see people's lives are in danger, such as cash and transit heists, heists or bank robberies, as well as the syndicates that are operating behind the scenes where they're phishing scams, etc.? You know, I think the the issue around specialization is very important, and I, I firmly believe that it's it, it's important because it allows the resources that are allocated to those courts and to those kind of cases the ability to become experts, uh, to understand the modus operandi, to understand what's happening not just locally but internationally as well. Uh, it's re- it, it, it is really important to be able to develop that kind of skill and, of course, to have uh, those in line waiting, trained and ready to go into it as well. So, you know, you're having that kind of support going ongoing all the time. I do understand and I'm fully aware of all the challenges that the Department of Justice has as well in terms of, you know, having specialized court and having uh, the NPA appoint special specialist prosecutors. But I think it's something that certainly in terms of my opinion, yes, I think it's valuable. I think it allows for uh, a speedier uh, uh, dealing of matters, a more effective dealing of, of, of cases. Um, and, and also, I think the model of having the police work closely with, I'm such a fan of how it used to be, and I've seen it in action, and so, and so that sort of supports my view in terms of it, where we used to have what was called um, 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 prosecution um, guided investigations was what the specialized commercial crimes courts used to have uh, through the NPA and the police, and they were co-located. Uh, they worked, the police and prosecutors worked closely together. And then we had prosecution-led investigations, which was a slightly different one and was more the model of what the old Scorpions used to be where you had the National Prosecuting Authority having investigative capabilities as well employed. So you had sort of one strategy, you had one, uh, the same priorities, you had the same boss, so there was no, um, uh, you, you didn't dilute your attention in terms of what the strategy was. And so it worked, it worked fantastically. And I think that now with the, with the way that the, um, NPA is being uh, the part of the restructure and the part of the the planning that's taking place sort of almost moving in the direction of having those kind of specialist um, um, uh, 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 units together to try and focus on. And it really is important. So, yeah, definitely I would support uh, any level of specialization. And, of course, from a biased and more subjective perspective, certainly for us in the banking sector. Kalyani, you raised the Specialized Commercial Crimes Court, and that's a very important component that 
um, we work a lot with, especially in terms of of, of major frauds, etc. We had a conversation with General Mokateri when he was still head of the Gauteng Hawks. And in his conversation, he said people need to distinguish between the police and the Hawks. The Hawks are the Directorate Priority Crime Investigation, but they're not being given the opportunity to investigate priority crimes. So any case at station level over a certain amount of money gets referred to the commercial crimes component of the, of the Hawks. And any serious crime that, that um, is involved in, in, in the banking sector, such as cash and trance, etc., gets referred to the organized crime component of, of the Hawks. Do you not feel that perhaps a lot of the work that's been referred to the Hawks is not priority and that they should concentrate on what the title suggests and perhaps they're overwhelmed at this point in time with the amount of work that's been transferred to them? I think uh, difficult to answer that at the moment, Chad. I think what needs to happen is that very often we sort of almost do uh, a little bit of patchwork everywhere. We're responding. We're being reactive. We suddenly see a spike in a particular type of crime, and then you you just sort of reach out to where you think it can get dealt with. And I think uh, you know the time sort of come where it needs a complete overhaul and an almost clean slate approach to looking at it and and looking at a blank blank sheet and then saying, all right, this is what what, what the current landscape is. This is what the emerging threats are um, that affects the country in terms of what's happening on the organized space. And then look at then plotting down to say, well, if that's what we, we currently faced with, this is where we think it's going to be going. How do we reorganize our resources and what do we, does it matter what the name of the unit is? It's about where do you put the right kind of skills and how do you group them together? And of course, you have to identify what are priority crimes and you, you need to be able to put certain kinds of skills because it's not a, you can't have everybody being an expert of everything. And, you know, I mean, there's so many things that I think also when you look at it from a point of view of, of the police and the prosecution and the Hawks. And you also, you know, we're so critical as citizens. If I take off my hat as being the head of, of, of the organization that I'm with, but if I, if I look at, at it from a citizen's point of view, we're always so critical about, uh, about the police being so slow at, at, at what they're doing and that investigations don't go as fast as they should and they're not as, as efficient. And, and so, of course, matters don't even get, you don't even get a conviction when it gets to court. But, and, and of course, there are various reasons for it. But some of the things that we look, uh, I would look at is, you know, you look at the modernization of it. Things as technology is, 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 is how things go these days. Everything is done electronically. Everything is done digitally. We look at the fourth industrial level revolution in, uh, uh, in terms of how things are going and how business is conducted. And then we look at the police who are supposed to investigate all these things, taking into account that their crimes are being committed on digital platforms and and the policemen are walking around with a pen and a paper and a and a, and a folder. I mean, they, they don't have smart technology. Um, statements are not taken digitally so that they never get lost, so that it's easy to pass on, that it's easy to track. Um, you know, do they have access to uh, uh, camera equipment that would allow them to do things on a crime scene easily? You know, we have to think about all of that. And I think the empowerment of law enforcement so vitally important as well in terms of looking at who should be doing what, 
uh, what kind of skills should they have um, and empower people to be able to to do it i think i think there's a there's a whole host of things that needs to be done i don't think it's going to be uh, easy and a quick fix but i think that if if my own view is that i think that if if, if the department of of justice and the police service as well start looking at it holistically together because it's pointless having different strategies um, they need to do it together and they need to look at how they synergize and, 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 and work closely together and have access to the same kind of resources uh, that they need to, to get the job done. Kalyani, how far can your organization go in supporting the police in terms of their infrastructure limitations, etc.? I remember many years ago, Business Against Crime had certain initiatives to help commercial crime with equipment, to help them with accommodation, to put the prosecutors, the magistrates and the investigators in the same building. What's happening today from the, from the private sector to help enable the public sector law enforcement? Well, certainly from the banking and cash and transit sector, there's always been that uh, offer to support uh, law enforcement wherever, uh, you know, the, the, the banks and the CIT companies are able to do so. And so we, we've, we've always made that offer. In fact, in terms of our everyday work, we offer the, the offer that's there and what that's currently actually happening is around, um, you know, the, the, we sit with a lot of data and we do all kinds of analysis and we make uh, the analysis available, the linkages available to law enforcement um, um, to support those investigations. But beyond that, in terms terms of helping them with competencies, helping them with skills that they don't have uh, in terms – well, I think from an infrastructure point of view, government – we haven't had a request uh, in that regard, and I don't know how our banks or our CITs would, would respond to that. And obviously, I would have to take back any such request. But certainly from a skills perspective, I, I know for a fact that the banks are very uh, happy to try and amongst themselves uh, see if they are able to make resources available, uh, even if people had to be temporarily seconded or, you know, add just to help uh, sort of bring everything back onto a stable footing uh, and empower and help with that kind of training and, and passing on of skills. So it's definitely, I think, the private sector um, certainly very open to wanting to support government. I think we uh, at a state in our country where we want to, all of us, uh, want to do as, uh, everything that we can to get this economy back to it being stable. And, of course, from that comes a whole lot of other things around job creation and, 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 and alleviating poverty and, and, the, and getting reducing in unemployment and all of that. Kalyani, in closing, a personal question. Do you believe that as somebody who's been involved in law enforcement in both the public and private sector, looking at the appointments of senior personnel, seeing that commissions of inquiry have been established, do you think we're turning the corner in terms of the fight against fraud, corruption and crime in general in South Africa? I think we, we have to remain positive and we have to remain optimistic. Of course, we, we, we do have concerns from time to time. But yes, at the moment, I, I, I definitely think that some of the appointments have been great appointments. Uh, they've been great skills. There's a, the, the, the whole approach, um, is, is, is starting to be very encouraging. And, and I can, I can give the assurance to law enforcement that we will certainly do our part. Uh, from the banking and cash and transit sector to to hold hands with them and try and strengthen every possible area that we can. Um, uh, organized crime cannot be allowed to thrive. 
um, and, and we don't want South Africa to be a lucrative destination for organized syndicates. Kalyani Pillay, CEO of Sabric, thank you for fitting us into your extremely busy schedule today. A pleasure, Chad. And uh, next time you have any initiatives, please let us know. We would love to talk about it on air. And thank you so much for, for sharing your knowledge with us today. Absolute pleasure. I would certainly ask your listeners to go onto the Sabric website, which is www.sabric.co.za, or follow us on Facebook, Sabric ZA, or on Twitter at Sabric. Um, we, we, we always pointing out new and latest modus operandi on bank related crime and, of course, providing advice and tips on how not to become a victim and lose your money.